go ahead and take God's Word in your hands and turn to the book of Romans this morning. The book of Romans. We're in a series that we've entitled Rhythm, and a series that we are focusing on and finding our rhythm in some of the areas of the Christian life that maybe we've gotten out of step in. We've looked at things like our parenting and things like prayer, our generosity, and we've spent a couple weeks, these last few weeks, talking about uh, finding our rhythm in the fight of temptation and sin. And uh, this week I want to focus in on our service, how God has called us to be people who serve God and honor God uh, with the use of our gifts and to do so in rhythm with his spirit. And some of us have maybe never been in step, while some of us may have gotten out of the practice of serving God. This is a great time for us in the life of our church uh, to talk on this subject, and so that's what we're going to do. You can find our passage, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, in the Purack Bible in front of you on page 947. Page 947. Well, there's a story told of a man, a farmer by the name of Yates, who during the Depression owned a property where he would raise and and ranch a flock of sheep. Now, Mr. Yates in the sheep business wasn't able to make enough in his ranching operation to pay the principal and interest on his mortgage. Each month he was in danger of losing everything that he had. With so little money, he had such little opportunity to buy clothes and even food that he had to look, as many families did during the time of the Great Depression, to government subsidies. Day after day, as he grazed his sheep over the rolling hills of West Texas, he was no doubt always troubled about how he was going to pay the bills. Then one day, he ran into a man who was a part of a seismographic company. He was doing some searching for an oil company that had come into the area. And this gentleman told him that he thought that there might be oil on his land. Mr. Yates said, there's no way that there's oil. This land is only good for raising sheep, and it's not even real good for doing that. Now, the man that had met with Mr. Yates asked over and over again for permission to drill just a small well, and each and every time, Mr. Yates would say, no, there is no way that there's any oil here that would change the way we look at life or change our prospects of making any money. His wife finally got the best of him. Mrs. Yates finally said, what do we lose? They're going to pay for the well to be put into the ground, and all we need to do is allow them a little portion of our land to see if there's truly any oil to be found. Reluctantly, Mr. Yates signed a sales contract, and at about 1,115 feet, that oil company would strike a huge oil reserve. The first well would come in to produce 80,000 barrels a day. Many subsequent wells would be uh, placed and they would produce twice as much as that. In fact, in the 30 years after signing that contract, the government would test one of the wells and it would show that it has the potential still in that day to produce more than 125,000 barrels of oil a day. And here's the thing, Mr. Yates owned it all. He would sit upon the greatest and largest oil reserve in all of the Western Hemisphere. Here's the thing. He lived in poverty, not fully knowing what was just underneath his feet. And he did so reluctantly, knowing that while there was riches to be found, he reluctantly kept himself from seeing what there was for him to have. Here's the point. He was a millionaire living in poverty. He didn't know what was at his disposal. And that story does a good job of illustrating what I hope to get across this morning is that you and I have great potential underneath our feet and we don't even know it. God has gifted us with things far greater than millions of dollars. He has gifted us with his Holy Spirit and with gifts that God has produced in us to live a life of good works. And some of us find ourselves this morning reluctantly, uh, or even saying, as Mr. Yates did, no, I don't have any gifts. There's no way those gifts are within me. There's no way I have those kinds of abilities and strengths. I don't care what you say, they're not there. Others of us are reluctant anytime anybody asks us about them to say yes to them. All the while, within our lives, opportunities to serve God in great ways go unnoticed and unused. And here's the thing, God did not create us for that. God created us to use our gifts to the best of our abilities. We are told in 1 Peter chapter 4 that all of us have gifts 
and that we're called all to use them. And so I recognize this morning that I'm talking to a group of people that have lots of gifts to use. But I also recognize that some of you are apprehensive about using those gifts. Some of you have used those gifts in the past and only run into very uh, difficult circumstances. Still others of you feel inadequate in your ability and maybe some even are ignorant to the gifts that you have. And so to alleviate some of those concerns this morning, for us to get back into rhythm, we need to look at Romans 12, verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at a famous passage of Scripture, one I'm sure many of you have looked at and studied before, and put our attention to how God wants us to find rhythm in our service. So let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. Here's what the Word of the Lord says to us today. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, Not to think of yourselves more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually we are members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, use it in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let's ask God's blessing on our time. Father God, we come before you and we humbly submit ourselves to the teaching and the hearing of your word this morning. Father, I pray that I would speak clearly, that I would speak with power and authority, but Lord, that I would recognize that it is not me teaching, but it's your word teaching. So Lord, I pray that I would be a student this morning as well. Speak to your people, open our hearts and ears by your spirit's power, so we may be doers of the word, not just hearers of it, that we may be, as the scripture says, transformed through the renewing of our mind. We know your word is powerful and capable to do that. So we submit ourselves to it this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As we pursue rhythm in our service, we need to understand that service is vital to the walk of Christ in our lives. This is clearly seen in what we put together some years ago as our vision statement. Let me just read it for you. Village Bible Church desires to be a family of growing believers, committed to glorifying God by reaching our world with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We are to be a family of growing believers committed to glorifying God by reaching our world with the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. There are two words that are hinges on all of that statement. And the two words, first of all, is that we desire it. And number two, write this in your outlines, that we are committed to it. And the reason why those are so important, some may say, but Tim, those are the two things that are not God-oriented, if you will, or biblio-centered in our vision statement. Here's why. We will never grow close as a family We will never grow in our deepening relationship with Christ. We will never glorify God or reach our world with the gospel if you and I keep from desiring something and being committed to it. You see, we cannot be a part of God's plans and purposes and his vision for our lives if we're sitting on the sidelines. And so we have to have a desire, number one, we have to have a heart for this vision. And number two, we need to live it out. And if we don't live it out, then we will never be able to see the great things that God wants to do in and through us because we don't devote ourselves to an all-out pursuit and service of God in the facets of our lives. 
So here's the thing. This text brings great help and direction to us because it's going to tell us a couple things. Number one, it's going to tell us that all Christians must be serving. It's going to tell us where we need to serve, and it's going to tell us how we are going to serve, and it's going to tell us what the response of the world, what the response of others and God is going to be. Now, I want to make this abundantly clear this morning that if you call yourself a child of God, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ, I'm going to challenge something in your thinking this morning. It is not a true statement to say, I love God, I honor him, and uh, I want to obey him and not be serving. I want to make that abundantly clear. The Bible does not teach of a faith that is based on beliefs alone. You see, we've fallen prey to that being a Christian is just believing the right things. But I want to make it abundantly clear this morning that the Bible makes it clear. Right beliefs always, always, always lead to right behavior. It means that we're going to believe something. Yes, I believe the gospel to be true. Therefore, I'm going to do something about it. You see, we need to recognize this morning that because of our salvation, it should compel us to do something with our lives. You show me a person who's not serving, and I'll show you someone who doesn't understand God's grace this morning, who doesn't understand the mercies of God. So let's look at this this morning. There are three things I want you to see. Number one, if we want to find rhythm in our service and in our walks with God, it begins by surrendering our lives to God. Surrendering our lives to God. Notice in our text this morning, we're just going to walk through this text and apply some things from it. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Let's just stop there for a moment. Paul begins this chapter after spending 11 chapters talking about the greatness of God and the absolute grace that God has shown a lost world. And he begins not with a command that just says, do something now, but a command that says, I implore you, I commend upon you, I am compelled to tell you that you need to live differently as a result of what God has done. Now, he could have just said, you just do it because I said so. As parents, we do that all the time. I'm dad. You're going to do what I say. Well, why do I have to do that? Because I told you so. There's no reason to talk. Well, here's what the Apostle Paul says. He doesn't do that, and here's the reason why. I could get up, and I could say, you need to serve God. Am I right in that? Yep. And I could guilt trip you with, with serving God. But here's the problem. God is not looking for people who are guilt tripped into a duty. You see, here's the thing I don't want to have happen. You've heard this morning that people are needed to serve in areas. Let me tell you why I don't want you to serve in those areas. I don't want you to serve if you feel guilt-tripped into doing it. I don't want you to serve if you're just like, you know what, I guess someone better serve, and and it might as well be me, and I'll go do it, and I don't want to do it, but I'll go do it. Let me tell you something. I don't want you teaching our kids with that kind of attitude. We don't need you. But here's what I want to teach you today. It's not about a duty, but it should be our profound desire to serve God. And I want to give you a reason why. Here's what Paul says. Paul reminds us on why we should have it as our chief desire to serve God. Notice he wants the best of his people. He implores them as brothers. In a tender way, he says, let me tell you why I think it is such an important thing for us to serve God, not out of duty, but as desire. Here's what I want you to know. He says that the reason why we ought to serve God in chapter 12 is because of the mercies of God. Let me just admit something to you. I want to confess something to you this morning. Your pastor is a sinner. Not the -the run-of-the-mill kind of sinner, but I'm a really lousy sinner. And the Bible tells me I've been a sinner for a long time. That when I was born in my, conceived in my mother's womb, I was born as a sinner. That every inclination as I was a little boy was to do evil. And I'm not the only one that has this, but the Bible says that all of us are sinners. 
All of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us find ourselves living in depravity and sin. Now, we may not be as bad as we could be, but every part of us is sinful. And we make sinful decisions, and there's selfish and sinful desires that we have. And as a result of that, the Bible tells me and reminds me that in that sinful state, I was set apart from God, I was choosing to live my own way, I was on my way to hell towards an eternity where I would be forever forsaken by God. And I was enjoying the ride. That I was okay with it, all the while shaking my fist at God to stay out of my life. That is what the Bible tells us about ourselves. Now here's the thing. God in his infinite grace and mercy said, Tim, it's not going to be that way for you. I'm going to love you. I'm going to show my grace and my mercy. Now, is it because he saw some potential in me? Mm -mm. Not at all. Was it because he thought I would be good on the team? Nope. The only thing I brought was my baggage, my hatred towards God, and an insolent spirit that said, God, I don't need you. I can do it my own, in my own way, in my own time. And God says, I'm going to love you. I'm going to show you what life is. I'm going to show you what it means to be a child of God. I'm going to put upon you the purposes that I have for you. I'm going to give you promises that you can hold on to. And I'm going to do so all at the expense of putting my son on the cross to die in your place. Wow. That's a lot. Not because of anything I've done. The Bible says it's not because of my righteous deeds, but according to God's mercy. So the number one reason why you and I are called to serve and why it should be an absolute profound desire in our hearts and not a duty is because we are reminded that it is on God's mercy that we find ourselves in this place today. You and I are saved by God's grace. And here's the thing. If you want to sum up the Bible in, in, in a couple words, sin, grace, gratitude. We fell to sin, and God in the New Testament, two words for the New Testament, grace, God pours out his grace in the person and work of Jesus Christ, and we have one singular response to it, gratitude. And so the reason why I serve isn't because Village Bible Church needs a pastor. It isn't because uh, I, someone's got to get up here and preach every Sunday. I do so because I fully recognize today as I have yesterday and hopefully will do tomorrow as I recognize I was a sinner lost and without hope and God brought the greatest answer to that helplessness in the person of Jesus Christ. And because... He has shown me that mercy because he has shown me that love because he didn't leave me in my place on my way to hell but now has seated me in Christ in the heavenly realms. Because of that, I want to serve him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And if that doesn't propel you or compel you to service, then you need to go back and ask the question, am I really saved? Because if someone has done that much for me, shouldn't I respond? Shouldn't I have a heart to do so? You see, Paul says it is in light of God's mercies that we are called to serve. So he says in light of all that, notice in the text he says, Therefore, brothers, because of God's mercies, you and I are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. Now remember, all of this has happened because God put Christ on the cross. He was given as the great exchange. And so what God says is you can't save yourself. You can't fix this problem on your own. I'm going to fix it solely by my grace and mercy. And the only thing I ask of you now is to live for me. And God says, here are the three ways I want you to live. Notice number one, it involves a dedication to please and worship God. So in light of what God has done for you, every Christian, God isn't suggesting, he is demanding something. But might I add, in that demand, it should be the easiest demand to take care of. You kidding me, God? It's my honor. It's my pleasure. It is a privilege to serve you. You are the king who took away my greatest problem, my greatest enemy, and you have seated me with your son, Jesus Christ, in the family of God. What do you want me to do? I'm here to serve you. 
I want to honor you. Now notice what God says is what I'm longing for, what I'm looking for, is I'm looking for you to be a living sacrifice. Paul goes to an Old Testament imagery of the Israelites, and he says, just as the ancestors of the Israelite nation would take an animal and place it on an altar, that's what I want you to do. Now, there's a couple reasons why he uses that metaphor. Number one, he wants us to know that this living sacrifice that we are called to give needs to be all of us, not part. When the man or the priest would put the uh, animal on the the, uh, fire to be sacrificed, he did not put part of it, part of the animal on there. He put all of the animal on it. He didn't say, okay, you know what? We don't need to waste the whole lamb for the sacrifice. So we'll just take the the leg of the lamb and we'll cut it off and, and put it on the fire. And that will be our offering. God said, I want all of that unblemished lamb on it. It is all encompassing. Here's the thing. Some of us think that this living sacrifice only involves Sunday morning, or it only involves part of our life, or this sacrifice only involves us with regards to our church involvement. No, what God is telling us is, is I want you to sacrifice. I want all of you. I want all of you. I expect all of you. Not part of you, not some of you, not a portion of you, but I want this sacrifice to be all-encompassing of who you are. It can't just be up here, but it needs to move from the head down to the heart, down to the hands. It's got to involve all of who you are. Now notice that in this, he says that this is the spiritual response. That word, this is your spiritual worship. Other translations use a phrase that I think is closer to what the original is saying. Some translations will say this is your reasonable act of service. And I like that translation because it's closer to what the Greek language is saying there. Because what it is saying is, is if we understand that God saved us as filthy, rotten, dirty sinners. He did so not because we've done anything good, but he saves us, brings us into his family. Then the only reasonable, literally that word in the Greek is where we get the word logical from. The only logical thing for you and I to do is to honor and serve him for the rest of our lives. In light of all that he's done, I'm going to serve him. It's logical. It's rational. It's reasonable. Now the idea here is when we come to grips with what God is doing and has done for us, we're going to live for him. Now he says we're going to be a living sacrifice. What that means is when you and I offer our lives to God and allow him to have all of us, so when God calls us to serve, we don't say, I, I'm not gifted in that way, or, or I don't have time, or I don't have energy. No, we say, if God says, hey, I want you to serve, then you're, okay, let's do it. Let's get it done. God, you've done so much for me. This is a small way of saying, thank you, God, for the grace you have given to me. What does God say? He says, in this sacrifice, it's going to be different than what your forefathers did. So remember that lamb? The lamb comes, he's alive. He comes to the place of the altar, and he's killed. And this dead animal is put onto the sacrifice, onto the altar. And what happens is, is the animal goes in to be the sacrifice, and he comes out dead. Here's the difference between what God is asking of us that is different than the animal who was sacrificed. And that is when we give ourselves, and we place ourselves on the altar of God, it is then... And I might add only then that we become alive. We become exactly what God wanted of us. You see, when we offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, it is then that we begin to experience the abundant Christian life. It is then that we start drinking in the water that will never make us go thirsty. It is then that we start eating the bread of life that allows us to never be hungry. It is then that we become rivers full of living water flowing from us, it is then that we experience the abundant Christian life. You see, when we serve, the blessing that comes is we honor God, but we become alive. And some of you right now are dying on the vine because you're not serving. Or you're dying on the vine because you're serving with attitude. You're serving with grumbling. God says, when you offer yourself to me, I will 
take care of you. You seek me first, you seek my kingdom, and all the things you worry about, all the things you're anxious about, all the things you wonder about, I'll take care of. Just honor me and serve me in light of all that I've done. And you say, Tim, this is your reasonable or spiritual act of worship. Notice that living that life, that word worship can also mean, it has two words, it's the Greek word latoro. Latoro means worship. Our ESV translation translates it worship, but other translations will translate it service. The single greatest service that we do to God is placing ourselves on the altar for God to be used by him. Here's what I've come to know, and this is what I implore you to do. About 12 years ago, 10, 10, 12 years ago, Amanda and I made a pact with God. And this was the pact with God. God, our lives are open. Do with them what you will. All we ask is that you will always be by our side. That you'll be with us. And Lord, we'll open our hands to do whatever. Now, now, when we opened our hands to that, let me tell you what I was doing. I was sitting in the pew like the rest of you were in this church. And I said, God, I'm open. And a couple months later, when we said that, the pastor at the time came and said, Tim, I want you to teach a Sunday school class. Never done that before. You know what I did whenever I was asked to teach? I just share my testimony, figured that would be good. That at least people know I'm saved and, and go from there. And I want you to teach a Sunday school class. Never taught in my life. God said, but didn't you say your, your hands were open? I'm going to do that. A couple years later, through saying yes, because, because when your hands are open, you say yes to a lot of things, God began to say, okay, there's going to be ministry in store for you. And I'm where I am today because of 10, 12 years ago, I opened my hands and my wife, all of us as a family, we opened our hands and said, God, you'll, we'll do whatever you want. And here's what I've come to know. I'm not sorry for doing that. Can I tell you, I've lived the greatest 12 years that anybody could. Can I tell you, it's an absolute, it's hard work, but it's an absolute joy to serve you in this way. I can't tell you the joy I have being able to be uh, one who gets to help lead the church and teach the church. It's a joy. God has been so very good to me. And all I have to remember is I was a sinner and now God gives me the right to be his ambassador to share the good news of Jesus Christ with other people so that they might be saved? Praise God. What an absolute privilege. But it begins by opening our hands to it. Now, if we're going to open our hands to God, then notice what he says we got to turn away from. He says you got to distance yourself from the pattern of this world. Verse 2. What that means is, as you say, God, I'm going to give you my allegiance, I'm going to give you all my attention and all my availability, the world is going to come at you and it's going to pound into you the desire, the pursuit to fit into their norm, to fit into their mold. And it says that it's going to try to conform you. It's going to try to mold you, to make you like them. And they do it in so many ways. They advertise their way of life as being great. Hey, all you got to do is live this way. All you got to do is pursue these things. And it's trying to mix you into a mold to literally follow its schemes. And some of us are falling prey to those things. And you're like, well, why do I keep falling to these things? Because you've never once and for all stopped and said, God, all of me is all of yours. And so what I'm going to do on a daily basis is I'm going to make sure that what I live out in my life is in tune with what you have. And so I'm going to say no to sin. I'm not going to pursue that way of life because I am too busy pursuing the way of God. Now notice, he says, hey, by distancing yourself from the things of this world will allow you to do something. Notice verse, uh, the end of verse uh, 2 here. That you may by testing discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So how do we not conform to the ways of this world? How do we continue to, with open hands, say, God, I'm here to serve and honor you? We diligently pursue the will of God. That means each and every day we wake up and we say, God, I don't want to live like them. I want to live like you. I don't want to pursue the things they pursue. I want to pursue you. How do we get there? We get there by fully remembering where God has brought us from. We were sinners. 
on our way to hell. And God has brought us into the newness of life. Now we have this newness of life and all that the world wants to do is drag us back down to a place of death. And so I'm reminded that this God who's been so very good to me, that now I have the opportunity to serve him, why in the world would I want to serve his enemy? Because the enemy of my friend is my enemy as well. And so I want to follow God. I don't want to pursue sin. And so we distinguish between what is true and what is false by asking God and saying, God, is this what you want of me? God, is this how I please you? God, is this the good you want in my life? And God says that when we do that, the Spirit is going to empower us to discern what is right and what is wrong. You see, that's part of the problem that we have. None of, very few of us are doing spiritual inventory, asking the question, God, is this, is this of you? Is my entertainment pleasing to you? Are the words that are coming out of my mouth pleasing to you? Are the things that I find myself spending my money on, are they pleasing to you? A life that is dedicated and fully given to the service of God because of the grateful heart that we have of what he has done takes everything that we are doing and it offers it to God and it says, God, is this okay? And if you're not doing that spiritual inventory, then you are not a living sacrifice for God right now. You're living sacrifice for something, but it's not God. You may be conforming yourself to the ways of this world, but you're not conforming yourself to the ways of God. You see, what the world loves to do with us is the world says, we don't need all of you. We just need you when you're hanging around, to us, around us just to look like us. So one of the ways that you will know if you are living for Christ or living for the world is ask the question, do the people of God see me the same way the people of this world see me? You see, a chameleon does a great job of looking like its surroundings. And so let me ask you this question. Do the people at school, do the people at work, do the people in your neighborhood see you the same way we see you? Or do they see someone profoundly different? A life that is offered up to God is a life that lives as a living sacrifice on Sunday just as much as it does on Monday. We need to make sure that we're pursuing God's will. Now, here's the great blessing that comes from it. We will know then that what we are doing is pleasing to God. Don't you want to know if you're pleasing God? I want to know that. And God says, if you are willing to evaluate your life, then I'll lead you to know whether or not you're pleasing me. And I will tell you each and every time that I get off the throne of my heart and allow Jesus to be on the throne, God is so good to remind me of the things that are taking precedent over him. And then he encourages me, encourages me with the things that I'm doing well for him. Now notice, he goes on, and I need to get moving here, but he goes on and he says one of the ways that you will, will know if what you're doing is right and good, is that you need to make sure you're looking at yourself or seeing yourself through the eyes of God. In verse 3, he now pivots to this actual serving of God. Now he says, hey, I want to make you guys aware. He says, okay, by the grace that's given to me in verse 3, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought. Okay, but think, with your, think about yourself with sober judgment. So here's the context. God is great. Chapter 11, end of chapter 11, God is unfathomable, he is pure, he is magnificent, he is awesome, he is amazing, he has saved us, both Jew and Gentile alike. We are all, all sinners, fall short of God's glory, and God by his grace and mercy has saved us, and he is to be forever praised and ever glorified. Chapter 11, end of the chapter. Verse 12, because of all of that, God now wants you to serve. But when you start serving God, when you put yourself into the hands of God, God's going to use you. And when God uses you, he's going to use you in supernatural ways. And his spotlight, some of that uh, rays of light is going to shine on your life. And people are going to start saying, wow, you're pretty special. You're pretty great. The gifts and the things that you're doing are, are pretty amazing. 
And, and the great privilege that we have in serving God is we get to serve him in the power that he gives. And when we do that, people are going to stand back and say, wow, that, that's pretty impressive. And what their temptation is going to be, and our temptation alike, is going to be to start thinking that we get all the glory. We get all the praise. Because God's going to empower us by his spirit. God's going to endow us with, endow, we're going to be endowed with, with wonderful gifts to change the world. And, and that's going to happen. And we're going to start reading our own press and think that we're the ones that are doing the changing and not God. You see, we are going to become, we need to be careful of this. If we don't see ourselves through God's eyes, we're going to be that little boy, I think it was in the Volkswagen commercial, that runs around in the Darth Vader outfit. You remember that commercial? He goes around and he's trying to force things and they're playing the Darth Vader Imperial Death March music. Dun, 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 dun. And the kid's going around. You guys not have TVs or something? The kid's going around and he's trying to force the dog to do something. He's trying to force his cereal bowl to move. He's trying to do all that and, and he's disappointed. But then he goes outside and he goes to the car and he goes like this to the car and the dad is watching this and the dad hits the ignition button on his keyless start. And the kid looks and he backs up. The car started. I did something. And if you remember at the end of the commercial, he kind of looks at his hands. And it gives the impression, look at what I can do. I'm a pretty special guy. I've got some amazing gifts. Here's the thing. When we serve God, we're going to do some of this. And, and God's going to be like, okay, I'll turn that thing on. I'll allow that. You're, you're moving. Tim, I'll, I'll allow you to preach and people to respond. And if I'm not careful, I'll do this in my preaching and then you will go, wow, that was great. My life has changed. And I'll go, whoa, I've got power. And what we need to remember is we can't do anything apart from God. We can't do anything apart from him. We need that father in the other room moving by his spirit that I'm doing the work, yes, but God is the one that's actually changing the hearts. And so what this helps us to do is a couple things. Number one, the texts help us not to magnify our gifts. Don't think too highly of yourself. You're going to be able to serve God and use God because God has enabled you to do that. But I want to make this abundantly clear. Nowhere in all of human history or before human history did God ever wish to have you in his NFL fantasy draft. Do you understand that? Guys, you understand that. Girls, you're lost completely, I think. But God's not sitting going, oh boy, Trinity, I hope we get Badal. We need him. If we don't have him on our team, we're in trouble. Oh no, what are we going to do if Tim says no? God's like, Here's the thing I'm reminded of. Let me just shoot straight with you. God has, in, has given me wonderful gifts, and for that I'm incredibly thankful. But here's what I always am reminded of when I'm tempted after one of you guys goes, oh, that was a great message. Wow, you're amazing. And, and we say that to one another, and that's not helpful because we start reading our own press. And this is what God continually reminds me of. Hey, but all, can I just remind you? I used a donkey to speak on my behalf. Remember Balaam and his donkey? Balaam's hitting the donkey and the donkey because of God. Says, hey, hey, quit hitting me, dummy. And God says, Badal, you're just another donkey. You're just another donkey that I'm using. And yeah, it's pretty fascinating that a donkey can talk. And God's using me. And here's the thing I got to remember. I'm totally replaceable. You see, we get this idea. Someone says, you're the best small group leader I've ever had. You're the best person with kids I've ever seen, man. You are the best welcoming hand. I've never seen a greeter who says, does such a great job as you. And we start backing up and say, wow. And God says, you're replaceable. You're totally replaceable. Why? Because it's not about you. It's about God. And God wants to use you, yes, but he's not sitting there crossing his fingers that you'll say yes to serving in Awana or serving. God's going to accomplish his plans. We can't thwart those things. The question is, are we going to be a part of the blessing that God wants to have in our lives? And so all the while, every time we serve and people come and say, great job, our response needs to be Psalm 115.1. Not to us, not to us, O Lord, but to you be the glory for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. It's not because of us. 
It's because of God. Now, some of you are like, well, I don't do that. I don't struggle with that issue. Here's the thing. It's not just about magnifying your gifts. It's also about minimizing your gifts. Because some of us are saying, well, I'm not good enough. I don't have gifts. I'm not as good as so-and-so. I can never do what they're doing. God didn't give me those types of things. If I had them, I would use them. Here's the problem. Just as the first one is a sin to say, it's all about me. Look at all the great gifts I have. The same sin that that person has is the same sin that you have by minimizing your gifts. You can either maximize them, it's a sin, or uh, uh, magnify them, it's a sin, or you can minimize them, it's a sin as well. Because when you minimize your gifts, you're saying to God, you didn't make me good enough. You didn't do a good job of creating me. You gave all of the great gifts to only one, and when it was time for me to get gifts, you left me hanging. And so when you tell people, well, that, I just don't have any gifts, or I'm not good enough, you're not just saying that you're not good, you're saying that God's not good. And God has given you gifts. Every one of us has gifts, and God has given us gifts not to sit with them and not use them, but to be driven to a place to use them with all our heart, soul, and strength. Be careful as well. You don't misplace your gift. Notice in verses 4 through 6 that the place where the gift is supposed to be used is first and foremost within the church. He goes on and he says, For as in one body we have many members. And so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the gifts given to us, let us use them. Paul is writing to a church. And he is reminding us that the first place that we are to use our gifts are in the church. Now, I know there's a lot of places that you can use your gifts. There's a lot of ways, and some of you are, are very much involved in other ways. But let me challenge you and remind you that the first place that your gifts should be used is within the local church. Because the local church is the expression of the body of Christ. Let me give you some theology. The body of Christ is not any group that has a bunch of Christians in it. Nor is it an organization that has a Christian name to it. Or that is doing a good and noble thing. The best way to illustrate this would be the following. The kids down the street want me to teach them uh, what it's like to grow up as boys and, and learn baseball and all the things that dads teach kids. And I go and I do that. It's a good thing. Tim, great job. All the while, while I'm doing that, my three boys are at home with no father at all. Well, how noble is that now? How good is it now? Now, it's good if I can make time after my priority's been taken care of to, to serve the other children in the community, other kids in the neighborhood. But if I do that at the sacrifice of my priority, then I've made something secondary first. And God says that's wrong. And some of us right now are pouring into ministry and focusing on things that are outside of the church. And I'm not saying this as a pastor, but this is what God says over and over again. My church is my bride. You serve there first. And I want to encourage you. And one of the things that I get concerned about is many times when we ask people to serve within the body, their response is, well, I'm serving here, 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 and here. And that's great, but that's not your number one priority. That's a secondary thing. And yeah, they may be doing great things, but there's a priority. And our first commitment is to the body of Christ. We are members of that body, and that membership comes within the local entity of the church. God's calling us to serve. He's calling us and he's showing us where to serve, why we are to serve. Now notice what, what is the response. Notice finally we serve each other so that God is glorified. What are you going to see when you serve in the body of Christ? You're going to see the truest expression of what it means to be a part of something bigger than yourself. So here's the thing. We serve and our service is most greatest, greatly seen when we serve in a community of other people. It is there that we learn our gifts by looking at the body and asking what part can I be a part of? Because God has uniquely gifted you and I not to be the whole body, but to be a part of the body. So now, as we remember that we're a recipient of God's grace, 
And in response, now we are called to serve. God says the body of Christ is where we're going to serve. And it's going to involve some things. Notice that if we're going to serve within the body of Christ, number one, it involves education. Verse six, there are many gifts for you to be a part of. He says, if it's prophecy, then prophesy. If it's service, then serve. Teaching, exhortation, contributing, leading, uh, dealing with mercy or, or being, living a merciful life. Do it with cheerfulness. Over and over again, the Bible says, here is what the gifts are. And so you want to know, maybe you're sitting there this morning, what are my gifts? Here's the way you find out your gifts. Number one, you look to the scriptures. What do the scriptures say are gifts? Okay? So you say, well... I have a gift of juggling. Okay? Well, does the Bible say that juggling is a gift? No. But God may have given you an ability to juggle to be an encouragement to others. Encouragement's a gift. And so we need to ask the question, what are my gifts? And we need to ask that, and we need to look to the Scriptures. And we look a couple ways. Either we look at a passage like this that says, okay, if you can teach, teach. If you can serve, serve. If you can give, give. But then we also, one thing I always look at is I look at the Old Testament Scriptures, and I ask, what are the characters of the Bible that I find myself responding most to? What were their gifts? What were their abilities? How did they use their abilities and gifts for the Lord's glory. Number two, we have to ask for the Spirit's leading. We need to ask the question, what passions do we have? Where do we see a great need? Where does our heartstrings begin to be pulled? Some of you have heard that we're without, without teachers, and you're like, but the kids, they need a teacher. I don't want to see kids without a teacher, and your heartstrings are, are being pulled, and that may be the Spirit's leading to help you in that, it has been said that your spiritual gifts are found at the intersection of your greatest passions and, the, and what you see as the world's greatest need. So ask, what has God made you passionate about? What do you see as something that is lacking in the world or in the church around you? Number three, you'll find your spiritual gifts when you ask the spectators. What I mean by that is, what are people around you saying? Ah, you, you, you do a great job. Can I tell you, when I first started attending this church, your smiling face and, and open hand of welcome really impacted me. Man, the way you've led the small group, you've done a great job. You've really brought the, the, the group together. Man, when you teach, you really are, in some real great way, you are able to open up the Scriptures in a way that I don't hear very often. Boy, we've had Junior in this nursery for months, and he won't stop crying the second mom leaves. But we put him into your arms, and man, the kid goes to sleep, praise God. Or man, when, you, when you're in the kitchen, some of that food that you prepare is just phenomenal. And it opens up such great opportunities to, to fellowship and, and engage with one another as a family. What are people around you saying? Not only in the good things, but maybe they say, hey, you know what? Maybe that's not the best place for you. How do I know this to be true? Because it's these three things that put me in this place here. Because I saw the need for a preacher here at the church. For leadership. And the Spirit began to work in my heart 10, 11 years ago to start saying, hey, I know you got another job, but I got a ministry for you. But I haven't gone to school, God. I don't have all the experience that they're looking for. God, God says, don't worry about that. You just be open. And every time that I would preach, and it started, my preaching started out in small groups. It started in Sunday school classes. And people say, hey, you're doing a great job. Keep it up. Don't become proud, but keep it up. Keep working hard at it. Then I got asked to preach. And people say, yeah, that was good. We should have you come back and do that again. And here I am today. Because I look to the scriptures, I follow the Spirit's leading, and I allowed people to speak into my life. And I will tell you, you start doing that in your life, the sky's the limit on what God's going to do with you. Notice finally, there's then the job of engaging. You see, we've got to engage. Your spiritual gift 
Every time God talks about your talents or gifts, he always leads to a place of using them. And notice in verses 7 and 8, he doesn't give any other job description than just do it. Just do it. Don't just talk about it. Do it. Be engaged in the ministry. And here's why we are to do it. Because it will bring, write these two things down, edification and enjoyment for all. What it means is that when we serve and we use the gifts that God has given us, then God's people will be built up. And we'll enjoy the company of God's people and the godly ministry that comes. And so let me just ask you this today. How many of you, and I'm starting to do these polls more and more, how, how many of you enjoyed having some smiling faces when you walked in the door this morning? Now, let me ask you, how would you like if you walked in and, and, and Bruce Wyrock's like, why are you here? Look at you. We don't want you here. Aren't you glad? They're like, hey, great to see you. It's wonderful. How many are glad that, that some people with some musical gifts got up and led us in worship? I mean, could you see me? Dave Holtine's probably going to spaz right now, Okay. Let's let's do some singing. Tim's going to lead you. Sing with me. That's all I know. Let's go. Aren't you glad that Dave Holtine and the team knows how to play these things? It's a lot more enjoyable than me trying to sing with you, right? Aren't you glad, parents? I don't even know how to put this thing back here. It's, I'm just going to set it down. Sorry, Dave, wherever you are. Aren't you glad, parents, that you can take your kids to some loving hands in the nursery? Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that there's someone to, uh, to preach the word? That we can learn? I'm sure glad of it. I'm glad that when my boys come out of Sunday service, they haven't listened to a word of me, from me. But they've heard from you. And they're blessed. And they're excited. And that's why we're called to serve. We're called to serve because God has served us in the infinite way of his grace. And we're called to serve because when we do, we are givers of God's grace to other people. So, we have a lot of places for you to serve. I'm not going to demand it. I'm not going to force it on you. But I'm going to ask you to look at what God has done. And look at what you can do for others. And then be able to try to say no. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. And Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts this morning. That you would remind us on why we're called to serve. It's not just to fill a spot, but it's to, to experience your grace and mercy in a new way. <clears throat> and so Lord, I pray that you would uh, speak and transform us today. Renew our minds so that we will be ready to serve and honor you with what we have. And Lord, I pray that this church would be different as a result of it. That we would see the fullness of your grace, God, in this place as each of us serve and honor you with the little gifts that we've been given. So Lord, I pray that you would impress upon our hearts this morning, not only the need to serve and the, give us the desire to serve, but that we would do it out of an overflow of the abundant blessings you've given so that we may share some of that grace with someone else. And Lord, that we would experience the joy and the, and the great affection that comes from being able to share our gifts with others. We do so, Lord, so that you alone would receive the glory. You alone would receive the praise. So Lord, as we enter into this world that's trying to conform us and change us, Lord, I pray we'd be transformed by this truth this morning. And that would compel us to say no to the world's ways and daily place ourselves on that altar so that we may live. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.